So it's September 2016, and my old friend, the journalist turned private investigator Glenn Simpson, invites me to meet a secret source at a Washington restaurant. Glenn has booked a private room upstairs so nobody will see us. The secret source he wants me to meet is a mysterious former British spy by the name of Christopher Steele. During the hour or so we talked that day, Steele tells me an amazing story. How one of Donald Trump's foreign policy advisors, Carter Page, had flown to Moscow and held private talks with close associates of Vladimir Putin about lifting U.S. sanctions against Russia. And Steele tells me something else that day that gets my attention. He's taken this information to the FBI, and the Bureau is very interested. Why were they interested? What did the Bureau know that would prompt them to take the extraordinary step of launching an investigation into an advisor to the Republican nominee for president? We'll delve into those questions, and the hotly controversial new memo about the FBI's investigation into Carter Page and the role I played on today's episode of Skullduggery. There is absolutely no collusion. I didn't make a phone call to Russia. I have nothing to do with Russia. Everybody knows it. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostages. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true. But the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. The British government has learned that Saddam Hussein recently sought significant quantities of uranium from Africa. How many times do I have to answer this question? Can you just say Russia yes no is a it? ruse. I'm Dan Clydman, editor-in-chief of Yahoo News. And I'm Michael Isikoff, chief investigative correspondent for Yahoo News. Okay, so Isikoff, the memo that we've been waiting for with bated breath has finally been released. It's roiling Washington. And it turns out you're all over it. In fact, the memo says, and I'm going to read from it now, the Carter Page FISA application also cited extensively a September 23, 2016 Yahoo News article by Michael Isikoff. This article does not corroborate the Steele dossier because it is derived from information leaked by Steele himself to Yahoo News. So look, once again, you are part of the story. You're not just reporting it. Uh, it does remind me of Monica Lewinsky day, the Monica Lewinsky wow. days yeah. uh, when you were driving that story, both reporting it and became a character in it. Everybody likes to blame me for everything. Um, but I got to say, uh, this um, memo really astonished me because I had no idea that our story, which got some attention in the Twitterverse when it... Um, uh, when we first reported it, um, but not a lot of pickup from other media um, would be used in the FISA application by the FBI. Um, one reason that kind of stuns me is obviously the information that I got from Christopher, Christopher Steele, and we'll talk about that, um, was information the FBI already had. Remember what I said at the opening here, the, the page had briefed the FBI right. on this information. Right. So why they would have to cite our well, we're gonna, story we're gonna is get a bit that. beyond me. We're going to get into that. It's, it's, yeah. it's kind of uh, mystifying in a lot of ways. Um, and it is important to remember uh, that this is 
you know, the Republican memo put out on a partisan basis. Right. It is a slice of the story. Right. Uh, the Democrats say it's been cherry picked. So there's more context, which uh, I hope we'll be able to provide in this uh, in this episode of the show. But I want to go back. I want you to just kind of walk us through how you ended up in the middle of this Washington bombshell. And obviously, it, from the you know, as you right. said in the top of the show, it begins with the secret hotel meeting you had with Christopher Steele, right. and then you write the story for Yahoo. So right. kind of take us take us back to that. Sure. Sure. And first, I should point out that I'm not the only journalist that um, Christopher Steele was meeting that day. And and I can talk about this because Christopher Steele himself in a British court filing has said he spoke to journalists from multiple news organizations. Kind of makes him, an un- kind of makes yeah. him a slightly unusual spy, a yeah. spy who talks to a lot of reporters. Well, he, yeah, he was former spy. Right. Right. But and, and I should say he was forced to um, uh, document that as part of a lawsuit that's been filed against him and his company uh, over the dossier. But in any case, yes, look, Glenn Simpson, as I mentioned, old friend, you know, stellar journalist for years, got into the private investigative business and was doing um, uh, opposition research for the Democrats. I did not know, by the way, that it was the Clinton campaign itself and the DNC that was paying uh, Glenn's company, Fusion GPS. Um, but I, I knew it was on behalf of Democrats who wanted Oppo research. This was Oppo research. And, and that's what I do during political campaigns, talk to Oppo people from both sides to see what they got, to see if um, there's anything they have that might be worthy of a story. So I meet Christopher Steele. Um, he's a serious guy. Uh, and I mean, mean that in every sense of the word, not just his resume, he former uh, MI6 uh, operative in um, in Moscow, the top Russia specialist for uh, British intelligence for many years, then in the private investigative business, had been hired by Glenn uh, to do this research on Donald Trump's uh, ties to Moscow. But um, he was um, um, not interested in small talk. Uh, there wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, uh, uh, humorous asides. He was, it was all business, and he had what clearly he viewed as some very significant information that he had developed from his sources, the people that he So let me just stop you for one second. So, yeah. I mean, obviously throughout the course of your career, you've met a lot of secret sources yeah. in a lot of different places, including, I'm assuming, Washington hotels. Um, he struck you as credible, is what you're saying, that uh, he was not uh, flaky or conspiratorial. Uh, he struck you as someone who was a serious guy. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Obviously, I wanted to check him out. And by the way, uh, I should have mentioned this earlier, all of this will be documented in great detail uh, in the forthcoming book uh, I have uh, coming out with David Korn, uh, Russian Roulette, uh, the inside story of uh, Vladimir Putin's attack on America and the election of Donald Trump. We're very much looking forward to the book. David Korn, by the way, who also makes an appearance in the memo. And actually related to what we're talking about here because uh, Steele um, uh, also talked to David um, and right. and um, and and that actually became a problem for Steele with the FBI as as their source and yeah. informant. Yeah, actually, the memo he was terminated. Said, memo says it terminated um, uh, uh, Steele. The FBI terminated Steele after David's story. Look, uh, people on Twitter have already suggested that this memo is really just designed as promotion for Russian <laughs> roulette. And um, you know, let's uh, let's see how how well. Uh, it, it fares in that um, in that regard. But yeah, look, um, obviously I needed to check Steele out. 
Um, and I'll explain in the book how I did that. But, you know, I, I went to a senior U.S. government official who had had dealings with Steele. He um, uh, told me a little bit about um, uh, Steele's role and work over the years and why he was viewed as a serious guy by the U.S. government. Um, uh, I uh, talked to others about Carter Page, uh, including a uh, U.S. diplomat who was in Moscow uh, uh, for many years and was well aware of Carter Page and his pro-Putin uh, uh commentary. Um, well, let's he, let's he, just remind the listeners yeah. that Carter Page is really the person at the uh, at the heart of this uh, controversy. Uh, he is the person who uh, the FBI uh, was they, they were filing this FISA application so that they could right. uh, surveil him, so they could spy on him. And right. and and the and the contention from Republicans is that um, the FBI relied entirely on this do- Christopher Steele dossier, which was uh, salacious and unverified, um, and right. um, so just just so that people know, that's who Carter Page is, and 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 how sure. centrally he figures in all of this. Sure, and I should point out, look. If you take a look at our story, September 23rd, the headline is U.S. Intel officials probe ties between Trump advisor and Kremlin. That did not rely on what Christopher Steele told me. We talked to, I talked to a senior U.S. law enforcement official who was well aware of these allegations, which also had been circulated, by the way, in a letter that uh, Senator Harry Reid, the Democratic leader in the Senate, had sent to FBI Director Comey a few weeks earlier, um, referencing a meeting that a Trump advisor had with sanctioned individuals. The sanctions, the individual in question is Igor Sechin, who's the head of Rosneft, a a Putin crony. Um, So Reid was actually the first one to put all this out there, although Again, nobody picked up on it at the time, but it was, for me, the, the key piece, the, that which made this a story, was the fact that the FBI was investigating. That was— Right. This was, a, this was a, what we call a classic FBI investigate story. In right. other words, uh, this was not a story that set out to prove the underlying investigations. It's just news when you learn that the FBI is investigating sure. a uh, an advisor to Donald Trump's campaign in a, a, a counterintelligence investigation. Right. And, and, and by the way, I, I should just say here, just yeah. for in the in the for the sake of full transparency, uh, Carter Page um, has sued Yahoo News and yes. other uh, uh, news publications for reporting mm-hmm. on his role in the campaign and right. uh, and the dossier. Um, so I just wanted to make sure that uh, we. We said that, um, yep. and uh, we're we're well, not going to talk no. about it, but uh, <laughs> just in the interest of full transparency, no, no, no question about it. But look, this was the first story, our story on September twenty third, to report that there was an investigation into somebody connected with the Trump campaign, um, and that. I found to be significant. I didn't realize how significant it would ultimately become. Um, But the whole Russia issue had been plaguing Trump, swirling around for for months now. Paul Manafort had his ties to the pro-Russian political party in Ukraine. Uh, Michael Flynn had flown to Moscow uh, to sit with uh, Vladimir Putin at a celebratory dinner for RT, the Russian propaganda station. There were a lot of questions about the Trump Trump's ties to 
various characters in Russia and people around Trump. So the fact that the FBI had begun an investigation was in it in and of itself very important news and that's what we reported at the time uh and it it actually i mean carter page uh you know you, you may have uh, been written one of the more prominent stories about him in in uh 2016 um and he was certainly not a household name until probably your story appeared. But he was on the FBI's radar screen going way back, right? Yeah, and I think that's going to prove um, very important as people pick apart this memo. And, you know, the Democrats have prepared a, uh, a counter memo that is going to, uh, that they say will show how misleading this document is. But the fact is that the FBI was well aware of Carter Page. He had popped up in a Russian, in a uh, investigation into Russian espionage several years earlier. Uh, some uh, SVR, that's the Russian Intel Foreign Intelligence agency uh, agents had tried to recruit him. Um, the FBI had interviewed him. They were aware of his uh, pro-Putin mindset. Uh, he was doing business in Russia. He had a stake in Gazprom, uh, the Russian uh, energy natural gas company. Um, so there was a lot about Carter Page that they were aware of. And what we don't know from this memo is to what degree, clearly the memo states, and if we take the Republicans who drafted it at their word, um, that the Steele dossier played a role in the FISA application. That's the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court application. Uh, but how much did that weigh as opposed to other evidence that um, uh, the FBI had? Now, well, I have to say, you know, one of the more suspicious things about this Republican memo is the fact that they cite your story uh, so prominently, because it just doesn't make sense to me. And I, I, I really think we, we should flesh this out a little bit more. Uh, that um, that the FBI would actually be citing a news story um, th that's reporting on an FBI investigation as evidence for a, uh, a, a national security wiretap. I mean, I can imagine that as a, you know, uh, uh, as, a, as, a, as, as a footnote or a right. reference to it, supporting material, but they make it sound like it was central to their case, and that just doesn't make sense. Well, especially since the gist of the story was that the FBI was investigating the matter. So it's it kind of circular. It's self-referential, shall we say, uh, in a certain way, and it does make you wonder whether this is being accurately characterized in this memo or whether, and this would be the embarrassment for the Bureau, I would imagine. They were trying to dress up the FISA application in some way uh, by suggesting to the court that there was more there than there was. We don't know that. Um, it, you know, look, probably the most newsworthy part of this memo is not um, about me or David Korn or so my short, upcoming uh, book, Russian Roulette, uh, on sale. <laughs> Did we mention that? <laughs> Pre-order now on Amazon if you want. Uh, but um, that, uh, and I'm quoting from the memo now, Deputy Director McCabe testified before the committee in December 2017 that no surveillance warrant would have been sought from the FISC, that's the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, without the Steele dossier information. 
Um, now, if that's in fact what McCabe said, um, uh, that would be pretty damning. But, you know, clearly okay. we and want what, to know more. And what what does he mean when he says that? And I'm hoping we're going to have uh, Matt Olson on uh, later, a former Justice Department official uh, who actually um, signed off and worked on probably thousands of these FISA applications over the course of his uh, career, and he can kind of help us understand this this process. But back to McCabe for a second. Um, what he may be saying is that were, were it not for uh, the information that uh, Steele provided the FBI as a basis to begin an investigation, they never would have been able to get a FISA warrant. But presumably, they get that underlying information, they do further investigations, they um, uh, corroborate at least enough of it uh, to establish probable cause, which is the standard that they need right. uh, to get a FISA warrant, and then it goes from there. Um, and by the way, and, and uh, you know, I, I'd you know, love to know your thoughts on this. Um, you know, when you get one of these FISA uh, warrants, they, they, you have to reapply, get them reauthorized right. every 90 days. Right. And can I say to me, I, I mentioned the McCabe uh, assertion, the assertion about McCabe's testimony in the, men, in the memo as being the most newsworthy, but also equally newsworthy to me and surprising was that the FBI got three renewals of that FISA application. Every 90 days, you have to go back to the court and say, we still need to continue um, this uh, secret surveillance of our target. Uh, and that takes you through um, uh, October of last year. So from October of 2016, for a full year with one FISA application, granted by the court, and three renewals, they were conducting, the Bureau was conducting this surveillance, and um, uh, having represented to the court that they had probable cause that Carter Page was an agent of a foreign power. And presumably you have to show that the surveillance that you're doing is actually yielding information that's uh, that that tends to confirm yeah. uh, what you're investigating in the first and, place and, you know like clearly, how do you justify being on someone's right. phone if you know if all they're doing is talking to their kids yeah yeah and 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 clearly um, once they began the uh, secret surveillance, tapping uh, Carter Page's phone and all his uh, communications, um, that would not have that would have been the Steele dossier would have been completely irrelevant at that point. It's what are they getting from Steele? What are they learning? What are they? Is he in communication with people who they think are in fact Russian agents? Um, is information being Carter exchanged? Page, you mean. Is yeah. Carter Page right. yes in communication? Uh, and we don't know the answer to that. This memo does not. Um, answer that they make a point of saying, and you know, one has to assume that there's something, you know, there's some political edge to this. That um, the three of these FISA applications were signed by then FBI Director James Comey. Um, another one was signed by Deputy Director McCabe. McCabe, of course left the bureau this week um he was going to retire anyway but under he took pressure uh, yeah. uh a favorite target of donald trump's by the way right and and senior justice department officials including then deputy attorney general sally yates uh another foe uh, of uh, of donald trump and probably most significantly the current deputy attorney general rod rosenstein 
And, you know, I think there's a lot of speculation uh, right now as to whether the president may use this memo as a basis for getting rid of Rosenstein, which so really that, would create a constitutional crisis. Yeah, so that's really significant on a couple of levels. One, what you're just talking about, which I want to get to in a second. But also, you know, if Rod Rosenstein is signing off on reauthorization of the, FI, of the FISA, he knows it's a deeply controversial investigation to begin with. Right. He's going to be... Um, you know, he's not going to be making um, a reauthorization decision cavalierly, I would not think. He's a careful lawyer, and he knows that, you know, the, uh, uh, his, his new boss, uh, Donald Trump, um, you know, is watching this very closely. I would think he would bend over backwards to make sure that, you know, all his uh, uh, I's are dotted and T's are crossed on this, um, and uh, which would tend to suggest that there is more to this, uh, uh, you know, to these FISA applications than, you know, than just uh, salacious, unverified information um, in in a in a dossier and a Mike Isikoff story. <laughs> yes, and 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 I should say the sources I've talked to have um, uh, have told me that there is much more to this FISA application than is represented in the memo. Um, the, the other thing about Rosenstein is. Um, we have there. There has been, you know, uh, ex, ex, at this point, substantial reporting that um, that Donald Trump m- may want to fire Rosenstein, yeah. and as you said, may want to use this as a pretext uh, to fire him. He hasn't. He's really hasn't trusted him all that much in the beginning. I think Trump was f- famously said, um, you know, he's because Rosenstein was a U.S. attorney in Baltimore. Well, they're, you know, there are only Democrats. There are no Republicans in Baltimore. So he also doesn't seem to trust him just based on that. Right. Um, and the other question but, is, is, but what happens? Right. What happens um, if he is fired? I'm not sh- if I'm Donald Trump. Uh, I'm not sure that I want. I would want to f- uh, fire um, Rod Rosenstein, who's been in the middle of all of this and is in the position to be a pretty valuable witness to Bob Mueller, the special counsel. Remember, he was in the middle of right. the whole firing of Comey, sure. uh, which is, uh, as we understand it, the heart of Mueller's investigation now, an obstruction investigation. Rosenstein is the guy who stands between Mueller and the president. Um, so uh, getting rid of Rosenstein would be seen as a direct assault on Mueller, would undercut Mueller. Of course, like I said before, you know, the, constitu- the, the fallout, the political uh, fallout from that would be enormous. Um, I don't know how they would get another deputy attorney general confirmed in this environment. Um, uh, Democrats will go crazy over well, that. Well, I guess it would uh, fall to the uh, associate, associate attorney general, Rachel Brand, right. um, who does not have – I mean, I, by all accounts, I, I've heard she's a you know, a very talented lawyer um, and is well-respected in the legal community, but she doesn't have um, any real experience in the criminal law or in these kinds of investigations, and there would be questions about yeah. uh, whether she would have – uh, the, the reputation, also just the sort of steel to stand up to uh, uh, President Trump. So right, and and I should point out, by the way, that uh, she actually served on the private privacy and civil liberties board that conducted the review of U.S. surveillance uh, that was uh, uh, that was undertaken after the Snowden revelations. So she is familiar with um, the issues of surveillance, but she doesn't have the criminal uh, uh, law enforcement background that Rosenstein, who was a U.S. attorney, did. Uh, hey, Mike, there was a, a name in this Republican memo that I was not familiar with that I wanted to ask you about. Um, 
Orr, yes, uh, former, uh, I don't know, maybe he's uh, still at the Justice Department, a career Justice Department official, mm -hmm. um, and um, he kind of figures prominently in the memo. Tell us about him. Tell us uh, yeah. I, what the I allegation say, is I, there. I, I Bruce, Bruce Orr is his name. Right. Uh, yeah. I don't know him, but I know of him, and as I understand it, he was one of the Justice Department's uh, premier experts on Russian organized crime. Um, and as a result, he had a relationship with Chris Steele, who was the British expert on Russian organized crime. So they consulted a bit. They knew each other. And when Steele comes to Washington in um, uh, September of uh, 2016, according to this memo, he, he meets with Orr. Now, this is interesting for a number of reasons. But he has another, he's got yeah. another relationship, yeah, yeah. His, his wife, wife. that's interesting of interest to Republicans. Exactly. His wife works for Glenn Simpson. Um, the Fusion GPS guy who hired Christopher Steele to begin with. So um, that to Republicans, uh, you know, looking for the deep state conspiracy, see um, a lot of um, uh, a lot of tentacles there. And and clearly, like the the um, problematic thing that's represented in the memo uh, uh, is that in September 16, when Steele, Steele admits to Orr, this is when he meets with Bruce Orr, his feelings against then-candidate Trump when Steele said he was, quote, desperate that Donald Trump not get elected and was passionate about him not being president. Um, now, whether or not Christopher Steele ever said that, I have no idea. Uh, he didn't say that to me, although he certainly um, reflected his very strong feelings that there were disturbing um, connections between Trump and uh, various figures in Russia. Uh, but uh, this th that comment will be used to further uh, discredit uh, Christopher Steele. And I should point out, um, Bruce Orr has been removed from his job at the Justice Department. He was ahead of some uh, organized crime task force uh, at uh, Justice, and he got um, moved aside. So, um, all right. So another character in the Russia scandal that we're going to have to keep track of, it is like a Russian novel <laughs> with a lot of characters, yes. a lot of moving parts and plots and subplots. Russian um, roulette. I, Russian roulette. Oh, yes. there you go. Getting, <laughs> okay. the, getting yes. the name of your book in there again. So I understand that we have uh, Matt um, Olson, uh, former Justice Department official who uh, was uh, in the Office of Intelligence um, and uh, worked on, you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of these FISA requests. Um, and uh, after that, during the Obama administration, um, was the general counsel at the um, NSA, the National Security Agency. And so he's very steeped uh, in intelligence and law. And Matt, good of you to join us. Um, I want to start with Isakoff again, stumbling into history. <laughs> stumbling into history. Um, <laughs> I know you've read the memo. Um, and I thought maybe you could give us a little bit of context. I, you know, we were kind of floored. Uh, that uh, the uh, that they would the Republicans would cite um, a, a you know a news story or say that the FBI had had cite, had cited a news story extensively in their FISA application. In your experience, um, it, is that something that would happen uh, that the FBI would actually cite as evidence um, in a in a uh, national security wiretap application news stories? All right. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, guys. It's good to be uh, to be with you. And, and I've just had a chance, like you all, to, to review this memo. Um, and as you say, I you know, worked on uh, a many FISA applications before the FISA court. That's my job in, in the Justice Department for three years was to oversee 
uh, the FISA operations uh, for the Department of Justice. So, um, so I've generally had an opportunity to look at a lot of FISA applications. So, you're, you know, your question about uh, whether it's common to cite to newspaper articles, I mean, the way that I have seen this in the past, you know, speaking very generally, is that, you know, open source material is often uh, or, you know, is not infrequently cited in, in, to corroborate facts. In other words, there's a lot of information that's in open sources, whether it's um, a statement that, you know, Osama bin Laden made in a, in a taped interview, for example, or uh, maybe a newspaper article that corroborates a fact that it comes from another source. So the typical way I've seen open source information cited, and that's true, for example, in, in criminal wiretap applications as well, is to, you know, build the background or to corroborate um, information that's that's more specific. So that's the that's the general way I've seen it. It's not there's nothing it's not uncommon and it's nothing there's nothing inappropriate about it. In fact, it can be quite uh, helpful in filling out the background picture in a particular application for but, for wiretap. But Matt, the, the puzzling thing to me here is that there's what the memo says is it, 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 that my story is cited extensively. My story is about the FBI's own investigation. So it seems a little odd that they would be citing the Yahoo News story about the matter that they are investigating themselves based on the same material that had been separately presented to the FBI before I was ever briefed by Christopher Steele. Yeah, again, I'm, you know, I'm looking at the same document you guys are. I mean, I, I, think, it's, I think it's really hard to judge based on this memo, what the facts are. I mean, the, the memo itself, first of all, the process behind how it was released, you know, so, uh, you know, sort of undermined by the partisanship on the committee, um, that the, the memo itself, is, it, you know, just smacks of, a, of being kind of an amateurish uh, effort to slant the information. Because when you read it, it's quite obvious that you're not getting the whole story. I mean, anyone reading this of, of any sort of, you know, level of sophistication knows that they're reading a, a kind of a hit piece. Um, so when I read that part about your story, uh, Mike, I, I, it just, it's just not clear to me how it was used in the, your, your story was used in the application, um, whether it, um, you know, whether there in fact might be, and to your question, there might be, it might have been lots of information directly from the actual source of the investigation, which, you know, in some ways, your story was used to say there, there's a, there are other occasions when this same source did similar or the same things, which is, you know, again, generally corroborating the information. But it's it's very hard to tell based on the, the memo itself. So, so Matt, one of the central allegations against the FBI here and that the president has lodged and Republicans more generally um, is that the the FBI, in, in applying for this uh, FISA uh, warrant, uh, withheld uh, key information that would show that Steele um, and um, that, that Steele and, and, and the information in his dossier uh, was, was, you know, biased, and 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 that is that um, that the dossier and Steele that was bankrolled by the Hillary Clinton campaign um, and by uh, the, the Democratic National Committee, um, and I guess. Um, 
My question, I mean, that sounds like a pretty serious allegation. It seems like um, if it was intentionally withheld, um, that that's the kind of information that the FISA court um, should have known. Um, what, what do you make of that allegation? And help us put it into some context here. Uh, you know, again, it's sort of hard to, it's hard to know, you know, again, just from the four corners of the memo, um, which doesn't really describe what was told to the FISA court. So you, we don't have the application. So we don't know exactly what was told to the FISA court. It does allege that um, there was no information in the application about the, uh, you know, assertion that, 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 that Steele was being bankrolled by the Clinton campaign or by the, the DNC. Um, so as a general matter, you know, I think the, the obligation, and it's one that, in my experience, the Justice Department and the FBI take extremely seriously, and that is to provide uh, information that's relevant uh, to the court's decision, which is, you know, is the target, do they meet the legal standard? Is it a probable cause that the target's an agent of foreign power? And in some cases, that does require that the sources of information, if they have a bias or if they are if there's a reason to be to question their credibility or reliability, there's an obligation to provide that information to the FISA court. And um, so the question I think that this raises, and it's just hard to know the answer. Again, I think this is clearly a slanted memo that it's hard to know from what's written here. But is that, you know, did they fail to do that? If you but to take a step back, I mean, if and think about what the allegation more broadly is that there's a conspiracy um, sort of from the rank and file up to the highest levels of the Justice Department and the FBI, and potentially including the FISA court, to to ignore <clears throat> information that would have been available and and relevant to making this decision. Um, well, there and, were there would you know, have, there would have had to have been a lot of people involved in that conspiracy because you you know how this process works and it it works its its way, you know, down from the agent level way up the food chain, um, and so. There are a lot of points along the way when someone could have raised those kinds of questions before it actually gets before a FISA judge, right? Exactly. That's exactly the point, Dan. I mean, this this would have had to be, uh, you know, uh, many, many people, maybe dozens of people who would have uh, been in a position to know and decided, no, we're not going to provide this information to the FISA court. Because this is, um, you know, if, this, if, if you sort of take this at face value, which is just not my experience, I mean, and the FISA applications are vetted in an extremely rigorous way where the, every fact that's included in the FISA application goes through a series of procedures where the underlying documentation is reviewed by the agents at, at, and, and, and supervisors within the FBI and then by lawyers at the FBI, lawyers at the Department of Justice, ultimately signed off on at the, at the highest level by Senate-confirmed uh, individuals in the Department of Justice. And then it's reviewed by a court who has which has a, its own set of staff that asks searching questions. Um, so what we don't know from this is what was the other information that was pre presented to the court? How important was right. this alleged uh, information about, uh, from, you know, from the Steele dossier? Yeah. Um, what, you know, what was actually said about the Steele dossier or about, about the source of that information? Matt, yeah, there's, a, just, there's so much we don't know. A couple of things. Uh, first of all, I just, as an aside, I'm, I was just looking at that date of the um, FISA uh, application October 21. That is, think about this, that is a week before Comey's letter 
about reopening the Hillary Clinton email investigation. And there was the FBI the week before um, beginning a, um, uh, a, a an investigation, a formal investigation with a FISA warrant into a uh, advisor to the uh, uh, to the Trump campaign. And by the way, if you read through the memo, for some reason that FISA application also mentions George Papadopoulos, um, uh, who was then another foreign policy advisor to the Trump campaign. Page, by the way, had left the Trump campaign after my story. He became too hot to handle. But the fact that they threw in or have reference to Papadopoulos tells me that this was presented as a broader inquiry into concerns that the that Russian intelligence may have penetrated um, the uh, the Trump campaign. But the thing I want to ask you, um, the other surprising thing, which I, I mentioned earlier in this memo, is that the FBI got three renewals on this FISA application. Right. They get right. the first right. one in October and it goes through, you know, each one has to be renewed every 90 days. So Take me through how this works. When you get a renewal, um, do the does that ha- does that mean you were getting information that was useful to your investigation that it was produ- pr- proving productive, or would they have just been recycling the same information in the original FISA application to get those renewals? You know, as a general matter, you you can continue to obtain authority from the FISA court as long as you can continue to meet the legal standards. So um, it's not just, but it's not a rote or you know or superficial process. You have to go back with the facts and continue to um, make this the the allegations in the in the application, and you have to explain to the court what information was obtained during that first 90 days, as well as to provide any information that might undermine the, you know, that you have obtained that might undermine the finding that the, for example, that the target is, you know, a lawful target under the, under, under FISA. So does that, so Um, so does this tell you everything again, Matt, does this tell you that they were getting um, useful information, incriminating information um, from their surveillance of Carter Page in order to get those renewals? So that is a great question, Mike, because I think that goes – that is really one of the ironies when you see this and you start to put the facts together. It starts to paint a picture that I think is exactly the opposite of the picture that the White House and the and the majority in the House Intelligence Committee wanted to paint. And that is um, – given what you said earlier, remember that this was – this was clearly – uh, you know, a an investigation that was into a political campaign for president. So there is almost no FISA application that's going to get more attention uh, within the Department of Justice, within the FBI than something like this, because they're and, and at the FISA court as well. They're going to recognize the extraordinary, extraordinary sensitivity of obtaining this authority. So there there's the already rigorous process is going to be ratcheted up to almost, you know, sort of an unimaginable level of searching inquiry about everything that's in this application to make sure it's rock solid. Um, and so, and, and then you real, and then the other fact that you point out is that it was renewed multiple times and with the same uh, sort of questioning from the FISA court, as they understand the sen- sensitivity around this, they're continuing to find probable cause. Um, so what that suggests to me, the, you know, the inference I draw is, there is a solid basis uh, to continue, that, and that the investigation was uh, was sufficiently fruitful and sufficiently well founded that the FISA court and everyone who was signing off on this was willing to stick their neck out and say, "Yeah, we need to continue to to conduct this surveillance." 
you know, there, there was a time, Matt, it's Dan, uh, there was a time when um, the uh, FISA court was accused of, you know, just sort of rubber stamping uh, these uh, FISA applications. You know, there were thousands and thousands of applications uh, and, you know, barely any that had ever been rejected. But that that changed um, in recent years, and I think maybe changed even when you were there or you were part of that process. Um, so uh, you would expect, would you expect that uh, the FISA judges um, would be more kind of rigorous um, in their uh, vetting of these cases and asking um, uh, Justice Department lawyers a lot more and FBI agents a lot more questions before they actually sign off on them? Uh, yeah, I would. And um let me just uh I need to walk for a moment here, so um I would definitely expect that. Uh the the reality is uh that given the nature of this case, they would have been extremely careful about uh about approving this you know, any applications in this area. Final question, um, Matt. Um the uh, uh look, this memo was released over the objections of the FBI director, Chris Ray and the deputy attorney general, Rod Rosenstein, do they um, can they continue in their jobs, um, given um, the president ignoring their wishes um, and strong views about um, this not being made public? So I think this is putting real pressure on those individuals. I, you know, they're both. Uh, extremely serious and conscientious, uh, you know, uh, public servants, both uh, Chris Ray and Rod Rosenstein. They're, so given that they both made the, the strong statements that they've made about the harm that releasing this memo would cause, both and, and given, I think, both of their, you know, I think strong instincts, which is to stand up for their, their folks, whether it's DOJ lawyers or FBI agents, um, I think the, there's real pressure on them to, uh, you know, to figure out what the path forward is. I, I, and I you know, I obviously don't know what, you know, what they're going to do, but, um, you know, anyone serving, I think under these circumstances and, and others have said this have to be prepared to, uh, to walk away if, if circumstances dictate that they can no longer serve in good conscience. And I, and, you know, I know that's, um, that's a heavy burden, but you know, this, I think these times call for that level of, consideration this if this point. was if this was you and you were deputy attorney general general would you resign so i, I was never deputy attorney general i like the fact that you kind of elevated me there mike yeah for um, the purpose but, of this um, question <laughs> for purposes of a discuss, discussion right. i think you know you, you can't really put yourself in someone else's shoes exactly but i think for me um this would be the kind of step that would force me to, to give that some you know real consideration, and perhaps I would. But it does kind of beg the question, and I know we said last question, uh, last question so let's make this the last question. Does this memo really cause uh, the kind of harm uh, that uh, people at the Justice Department and the FBI have been saying? Uh, because it also, uh, you know, some people are going to think that uh, they didn't want this out because it puts them in a bad light and they were uh, pr protecting their reputations and protecting the reputations of their institutions, which, of course, you know, is an important thing if you're running in, you know, a 35,000 person agency uh, like the FBI. But, you know, does it is it does it jeopardize national security? Is there classified information in, in this memo? So it's a uh, it's corrosive at many levels. I, I understand your, your question, Dan. I mean, is there like a fact in there that gives away uh, troop movements or, or something, you know, like that. I mean, it, the answer is no. But 
think about how how uh, how corrosive this is when the when what the FBI's perspective on that this is not a a, a factually fair uh, uh, you know recitation of what happened. And, and, and the FBI director or the FBI on, on, as a whole made that point. And the White House and the, and the House Intelligence Committee, on at least half of it, decided to go forward anyway. So there's so that is basically a, basically a very clear signal of lack of confidence in the leadership and in the sort of, you know, the institution of the FBI and the Department of Justice. You know, I think on the national security side, the, the issue a little bit more specifically is – if, if, the, if the message we're sending to our allies um, who provide us information, to sources of information, is that when, when things get political, you can't trust the intelligence community or, or the FBI to keep that information secret, that is a problem for national security. And, and, and I think that's part of the message that releasing this information uh, you know, sends to those, those people we count on uh, to give us information and, and, and to be good stewards of it. Well, fascinating to get your uh, perspective on uh on all of these controversies and on a process um, inside the Justice Department and in the FBI, which is um, obscure to a lot of people. So um, uh, really, really helpful context. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to having you on Skullduggery again. Happy to do it. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Mike. Talk to you later. All right. Uh, well, I thought a lot of interesting things that uh, Matt Olson said. What, what did you think? What was uh, the most uh, kind of salient well, he, point? Well, you know, Matt is uh, a very cautious guy uh, when I asked him about whether uh, he would resign if he were Rod Rosenstein over the release of this memo. And, uh, you know, he waffled a little well, bit. Well, I think it's said, an honest answer because yeah. it would, the easy thing uh, actually would be to say, of course I would resign, yeah. you know. but He I said think he would seriously think about <laughs> it. <laughs> right. um, but look, I, the, um, I, I thought it was quite informative about the FISA process. And yes, um, open source information like news articles um, uh, would be often cited as, as corroborating information, you know, Based on what we know from this memo, it's really hard to know the context um, of, you know, what they were using to corroborate. There was a lot of other information in my article, uh, including the, uh, uh, you know, the facts about Carter Page's trip to Moscow, what he said during the speech, um, the U.S. diplomat who I was uh, who I quoted in the piece who viewed um, uh, who viewed Carter Page as a as a Putin apologist? Um, so all of that could have been the kind of information that they were using to support the idea that Carter Page was a guy who they needed to be looking at. It doesn't necessarily mean that you know the information in my article, the Yahoo News article, was the critical piece that made it um, uh, that 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 brought them to the probable cause standard. And I, and I do think, Mike, that you brought out in your, your questioning of, of Matt uh, one, one of the um, most important points, which I suspect will get somewhat overlooked, which is uh, the significance of the three yes. uh, extensions um, of the wiretap authority and that there would have been – the Justice Department and the FBI would have had to – uh, show to the judge that that the wiretaps were yielding useful uh, intelligence, and certainly that there was nothing that they heard that undercut their case. And I think that's important. Um, and I, I wonder if if the Republicans actually realize when they put this memo together how important that is and how it might actually undercut their case in some way. Well, that does it for today's edition of Skullduggery. Thanks to Matt Olson for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll talk to you next week.